Jesus. Um, I think that when we love Jesus, we find ourselves wanting to reveal Jesus to everybody else around us. Because if you really love God, you're going to love what God loves, and you're going to love who God loves. And I think that when you look through the scripture, you find this common theme of how can you say that you love God when you don't love the people that God loves and cares about. And when Jesus uh, was resurrected and he, in, in John chapter 21, he, he got connected with uh, the apostle Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says something to the effect of, then take care of my sheep. And then he asked Jesus, uh, Jesus asked Peter a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes. I love you, Lord. And the Lord's like, okay, then, you know, you know, feed my lambs. Or I can't remember exactly the way he said it, but the big idea is take care of my sheep. And then Jesus says to him a third time, and Peter's like, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus is like, then I want you to, to, you know, feed my sheep. And so there's this idea that you see throughout the scriptures where God's like, do you love me? If you really, really love me, then you'll love all of them. And I just was praying the other day, and I felt like the Lord was like, it's really good for you guys to be out here. It's good for you to see your community. And I feel like the Lord kind of started giving me glimpses and images of his interaction with people in our community that probably wouldn't even be professed to be a Christian. But I started seeing just God revealing his heart for a lot of people that are suffering and a lot of people that are going through it. Some that are Christians, some that are not Christians. But I saw the heart of God for so many people that I think that one of the hardest things for a human being to navigate as it pertains to God is a loving God and pain. A loving God and suffering. How can an all-powerful, all-loving, all-good God allow suffering in the world? And because of that tension, it can be very difficult for the Christian to navigate, let alone the person that doesn't really know God. But I, just, I saw people in environments where they were literally in their bedrooms and they were in private places and they were weeping and they were mourning and they were crying out. And then I saw in the room, Jesus in the room with these people and he was just weeping and tears were streaming down his face. I just, I just saw the heart of Jesus for really all of humanity and he, just, he was weeping with them. He, in some ways, he wasn't solving their problems. He wasn't necessarily taking over people's free will and taking over a lot of dynamics, but he was right there. He was mourning with those who mourn. He was weeping with those who weep. And he's saying, that's my heart. My heart is love. And when people are going through it, I, I, I don't just watch them suffer. I'm literally suffering with you. I identify with you, and I come into your pain. And I come into your circumstances. And when you come into these situations, I want you to know that I have not forsaken you and I have not abandoned you, but I'm actively engaged with what you're going through. And I'm literally vicariously living it with you. And so I just, I just felt like the Lord was like, this is my heart for everyone, for people uptown and downtown and the surrounding community. I felt like the Lord was like, I love people so much 
Will you reveal that to them? Will you reveal me to them? Because there's a world that I really, really, really want to help. But I'm limited because you're my hands. You're my feet. If your feet don't go, then in a sense, I don't go. If you don't get engaged, then they're not engaged. If you don't reveal my kindness, then they won't know my kindness. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, that God can't do anything, but there's a real reality there that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus, and if we don't go, then who else does? And I feel today like the Lord wants me to stir the pot up. And quite honestly, I'm probably not the greatest person to be giving this message because I feel at times almost like a hypocrite where I fail so much. But I think that the Lord is wanting to come and stir the waters here at Abundant Life Fellowship. And he has a a fire in his heart. And I, I think that not only does he have a fire in his heart, I think he has a plan. I think he has a plan. And I think he's trying to get us ready for the plan. Because Jesus is calling us forth to accept the one that he sends to us. Now, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I, just, I want you to just see this imagery here that if you love Jesus, how could you not care about what Jesus cares about and love the one that Jesus loves? And that is literally all of humanity. So today, we want to be stirred up to love the one God loves and to accept the one that he actually sends to us. And so I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll pick it up in verse 3. So this is Paul talking here. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm reading the New Living Translation, so this may be a little different than your Bibles. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. I want you to think about that. God is the source of of all comfort. There's a lot of things in this world that offer you a false counterfeit comfort, but only God brings real comfort. Now, verse four, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Very basic idea. God comforts me, then I comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. So I just want to start with this basic idea that if you are suffering, if you are going through pain, if your allegiance and obedience to Jesus has cost you something, God today wants you to know that he's right there with you, feeling it with you. And the scriptures say that that God comforts those who mourn. And this is why it is extremely essential as human beings, to mourn. When, when, when difficult things happen, it is okay, it is normal to mourn. A lot of times I think we have this weird idea that if we mourn, that we don't have faith. Or that we should have the joy of the Lord. But it's essential that we learn how to mourn when suffering comes, because if you do not mourn, you will not experience the comfort. Because it's He comforts those who mourn. So you mourn, he comforts you. And when he comforts you, then you are equipped 
to release that to other people. What God has done for you, you become a conduit that he flows through you. So, verse 5. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. And so I just want to encourage you today that if you're going through it, don't let your pain end with you. A lot of times when we go through pain, and I understand I've been there, sometimes when we go through pain, we just have nothing to give. When we go through suffering, sometimes we just have nothing to give. But the reality is, is a lot of times Christians can get thrown off when we go through suffering because we start making it all about us. And we start, woe is me, woe is me, I'm the victim. And we fall, in, we fall into this trap of being a black hole. We fall into this trap of being the Dead Sea. As many of you are aware, the Dead Sea over near in the Israeli area is a sea that water flows into it but it doesn't really flow out of it. And because there's no flow through it, that salt accumulates and kills everything in it. And so it's so important when we talk about things like water, that water has to have an input and an output. It has to have a flow. And when you have a flow of water, you have life. And so I'm not saying that, you know, on your worst day you have to go and you know, climb a mountain for Jesus. But I am saying that when you're in pain, don't let the pain get stuck. Don't get into the place of living for yourself because there's, when you start living for yourself, that's when you find yourself becoming a place of death. When you allow Jesus to comfort you in your pain and then you turn around and try to help one another, that is where true healing and true life can flow. So I want to look at another passage of scripture. This is uh, Matthew chapter 9. And it's at the very end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. I want to stop there for a moment. When Jesus saw crowds of people coming to him, to follow him, to listen to his preaching, to listen and, and to experience all the dynamics that Jesus was doing. Jesus, who is the good shepherd, saw these people and they were weary. It says they were scattered. And he said they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. Let me ask you this question. 
If Jesus is the good shepherd and they were with Jesus, why did he say they were uh, like sheep without a shepherd? Because Jesus in his earthly state could only help so many people. He understood the brokenness of all these people that was coming to them. And he, would, he could heal their bodies. He could, you know, give them an encounter with him. But Jesus in his physical state was limited to one location at a time. And in a sense, one conversation at a time. And so Jesus is looking at a multitude of people. And these people are following him. And yet there's a brokenness in his heart. A compassion in his heart. Because he's like, they need a shepherd. They need somebody to lead them and to guide them and to teach them the way to go. In verse 37, though, this is the interesting thing. This is his response to the lack of people having a shepherd. In verse 37, Jesus, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is saying, the, the, there's a problem here, and this is how we solve the problem, or at least we initially start to solve the problem. He starts in the place of prayer. He starts in the place of, guys, the Lord of the harvest, the Father, is the one that we have to talk to about this. You can go and bust your butt trying to solve the problem, but you're not going to solve the problem because you need, we need to pray to the Father that the Father would send people out. Now, what's so interesting to me, it says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out. That word, send out, means eject. That's what that word means. It is the exact same word that Jesus used and the scripture uses when Jesus would cast out or drive out demons. All right, let's see where this is going. You're getting nervous now. So Jesus has shepherds who are also sheep who hear his voice. And there is a lot and a lot of sheep out there that do not have a shepherd. There's a lot of people weary and in great need. So what's the answer? To pray to God that he will eject Christians. You getting this? Sometimes we need to be ejected because it's all about me. It is all about my family. It is all about my finances. It is all about my retirement. I better be careful. Who knows where this is going? Sometimes I'm not really sure what's going to come out of my mouth. So I'm kind of a little external processing here. So Jesus wants people, I believe by the Spirit, prophetically right now, He wants people to be sent out. People who are suffering to be sent out. People who are being comforted by Jesus right now to be sent out. People who are far from perfect to be sent out. We have got to be ejected. We have got to be. And what's so interesting, it says pray that he would send out 
laborers. That word laborers, I looked it up. It means a worker. It is the term that they would use for the people that would go on the farm and pick the fruit. It's literally work. Now, you guys are like, Daniel, this is really not that, you know, uh, what's the word? Phenomenal or insightful. Let me, it, well, let's, let's just break it down because this is the way Christians get out of work. <laughs> so, all right. So we have a God of all grace who saves us by grace, not of works, lest anybody should boast. So we have a good God who makes us righteous, brings us into the family, brings us into the kingdom, gives supernatural gifts, and they're all gifts. So we have a good father who gives gift after gift after gift after gift. And so when a person gets into a works-based mentality, they start going off the train. They start going off the rails because we understand more and more. You can accomplish way, way more by grace than you ever could with works. Works will not get you into heaven, and works will wear you out. Works will wear you out. When you strive and do things in your own ability, and you try all day long to make things happen for you, to, make, to help God out, it just doesn't work. So because God is literally trying to detox us, from a works-based mentality, a lot of times we can get sucked into also uh, an extremism that says, oh, if it's work, then it's legalism. If, it, if I break a sweat, that can't be God's will. Because only Jesus wants me to be comfortable in air-conditioned environments. He doesn't want me to break a sweat. Now, we don't say this out loud, but this is how we live. You know, people say, hey, can you help here? Let me pray about it. Let's see if I feel led. I don't want to. No, I don't think Jesus wants me to. Because if Jesus wanted me to, he would make me want to do it. And I only do what I want to do because that's how the Holy Spirit leads me. Some people are laughing. Some people are nervous. Some people are like, I don't don't get it. But but the, the reality is, is that if you love, you will work. If you genuinely have love in your heart, it will show up in work. It will show up in labor. It will show up in you being inconvenienced and giving things away that you don't really want to give away. When, you know, and what's amazing to me is lovers, generally, when they're doing it right, make the best workers. Like, like when you... Like when you, I mean, there's always exceptions to the rules, so hopefully this will work But for some of your experience. But when you look at a business, you have employees and you pay them an hourly, an hourly wage and they could give a rip about your business when they clock out. They clock in, they clock out. They clock in, they clock out. They check Facebook when they have a chance while on the job. They don't care. They want to be paid. But, so they work, but then you have, you know, the owners. You know, usually like the husband and wife, you know, the mom, the pa. And have you ever been into one of those mom and pa shops where they do everything? They, they're laboring. Why? 
because it's their baby. They could probably, if they worked that hard somewhere else, they'd probably be making more money. But they, they are passionate about their business. They are passionate about what they're doing. So when they, they don't clock out, when five o'clock hits, they go home and work follows them. And they think about how they can do things differently. And they think about who they should fire and who they should hire and what they need to do differently. Why? Because it's theirs. They're not doing it for the, I mean, they are doing it for the money, but in a sense, it's not about the money. It's because they take a sense of ownership. And so when you live a works-based Christianity, you find yourself laboring out of guilt. You find yourself laboring out of obligation. You find yourself laboring because you don't know how to tell anybody no. But there's a better way. There's another way. And that other way is to have the life of Jesus flowing out of you. And that love of Jesus and that life of Jesus and that abundance of Jesus, that if you're genuinely abiding in Christ, you will produce fruit. If you are genuinely abiding in the love of God, you are going to have divine opportunities and divine moments all the time all the time and so i want to look at a passage actually before i do that yeah mark are you are you ready to do this you want to come up here can i get that mic michonne okay so uh the other day mark uh, you can, actually want to just come up to the top here mark uh, Mark had a dream, and he shared it with me. And at the time, I was like, wow, that is so cool. And then as I prepared to preach, I felt like God wanted him to share it. So, uh, this, I had this dream. This would have been Tuesday night. <clears throat> and there was stuff that was going on in my dream that just sort of fell away. And I had this real urgency. I needed to find Daniel. Because I was hearing this word over and over. There's a baby boom coming. There's a baby boom coming. There's a baby boom coming. And, and I was like outside and then went inside the church and I was downstairs. And it's not the setup we have now. It's a bunch of, it was a bunch of classrooms. And, and looking in those classrooms, they were like classroom setups. So desks, chairs, and there were lots of kids running around still. And I kept feeling there's not enough room. There's just not enough room. And that was the dream. So, so, yeah, so he shared that with me on, on uh, Wednesday night. And um, I don't know if he knows this or not, but we, I, I've, I've been gathering with a handful of people over the course of the last um, probably six or seven months. And we have been sharing what we believe the Lord is saying. And we're kind of been like, okay, well, what are you hearing? What do you feel like the Lord's saying to you and that sort of thing? And there have been a lot of words that the Lord has given to a variety of people that sound just like the dream that Mark had. So, so the idea that was the, the baby boomers, right? Baby boomers. Baby boom. Not baby boomers. Baby boom. So, you know, so obviously one could take that a little bit literal, you know. But, but I, believe, I believe that there is a great harvest that we are on the cusp of, I believe it's more on a national level, probably international level, 
the devil has really done a number, you know, in the last couple of years. And I believe that God's going to have his turn. And I believe that for quite some time, the Lord's been speaking to a lot of people about what he's going to do. And the thing is, is he is trying to get us ready for what he is about to do. I don't know how long it will be or how long it will take, but I believe it's going to be significant and greater than anything I've seen in my lifetime. But the idea of the, the dream, you see, there's a, a what's a baby? A new, a new, a new person. A brand, you know, a brand new person. And that, I believe, would represent young Christians. What would classrooms be? Well, of course, it's a Sunday school classroom environment, which shows you there is a training of young people or young Christians. It could literally, in some sense, literally be God reaching the children of our community on a high level. But nevertheless, they were in a classroom environment, which shows you we are called to equip and to train the young Christians. So if there is a harvest and we are the laborers, God is calling us to pray that there will be Christians ejected, that people that don't think they're qualified will take their rightful place in the house of God and begin to pour into other people and begin to pour into young Christians and maybe even literally kids. And so I believe that what I'm saying is a now kind of word that God is preparing us because history has shown that when God moves and people respond, usually the church struggles with it. Because we like order, we like control, and we like people that look like us and sound like us and dress like us and smell like us. Because history has shown that God likes outcasts. God thinks they're great. And he wants us to think they're great too. You guys are so great at amening me. But do you, do you, are you ready for what we're talking about? Because I was reading a, a thing yesterday. I, William Booth is the, the founder of the Salvation Army, right? William Booth. And he, he was, you know, had, had become a Christian. And he was getting rocked. And he started just bringing a bunch of, you know, homeless people and, you know, people that were in the rough shape, bringing them to church. And he thought it was the greatest thing. He, didn't even, he was a young Christian. He didn't know that people were not going to be okay with that. And he, he was like, this is great. And they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing to our church? We had a nice little cookie cutter box. I sat here every week. And now they take my seat. You act like this isn't reality. I am not joking. This is reality, is it not? We get so petty about dumb things. God has to work in us. So we will be ready for what he wants to do. And it's going to be work. It's not all going to be glorious. Changing diapers. You know, what parent feels the glory in that when they're changing a diaper? What parent feels the glory when they get woken up in the middle of the night and they're helping somebody through, or their, their baby through a problem. And it's the same in ministry. Do you, do you really want people bugging you at weird hours of the day? 
Are you ready for that? Are you ready to love them? You guys are, you guys are so godly today. <laughs> I want to look at Ezekiel chapter 47. It's found in the Old Testament. Ezekiel was a, a prophet um, during the Jewish exile. And he was given a series of visions, uh, many of which about the future. And I want to uh, read here. Uh, I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. So let me change that. Ezekiel 47, verse 1, New Living Translation. All right, so in, this is Dan, uh, Ezekiel, not Daniel. In Ezekiel, in my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There's a vision. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway, and he led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing. Now, I want you to make a mental note, a little mental bookmark. There I could see the water flowing. Remember that word, flowing. It was flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Verse 3, measuring as he went, he took me along the stream, for 1,750 feet, and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. Verse 6, he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. Now, just to kind of, you know, kind of make sure we're all understanding what's happening here, Ezekiel has a vision. In this vision, he comes to a temple where God's presence is, and he sees water flowing out of this temple. And it's apparently not a very strong amount of water because when he walks across, it's literally up to his ankles. And then he goes, it actually is a thousand cubits, but I, I did this translation so you kind of have a little bit more perspective because most of you probably have no idea what a cubit is. But they, then they go a little further down the river, and when they get down the river, the water's up to their knees. And then they go further down the river, and it's up to their waist. And then... They go down the river, and it is literally to the point where one would have to swim. It is an intense, full river that um, other translations make it convey the idea that it's actually almost Im impassable in terms of just normal swimming. So I, I want you to see that imagery, and then we'll, we'll kind of break this down a little bit. So this passage of Scripture, some people believe, will refer to a literal temple when Jesus returns, and that there will be a thousand-year reign where Jesus is on the earth, he is king, and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, so, like I said, some people believe this is a literal temple with a literal river, and it, we're going to read more about it. And, and there's, there's a, I think, a, a good reason to believe that it actually is literal. 
I, I think they're actually, uh, based off of scripture, I think it probably is a literal river. But also, I want you to see the imagery, because the imagery, I believe, is also spiritual. Because the scriptures say that we have the Holy Spirit, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you have been born again, you have invited Jesus via his Holy Spirit to come and live on the inside of you. Therefore, you and I are the temple. The presence of God dwells in your spirit. And because he dwells in your spirit, there is a river that flows out of you. Okay? So, I want to show you in um, John chapter 7, verse 37, 39. Can you pull that up for me, Sherry? I'm just going to look at the TV for this point. So, Jesus is talking. This is, I'm going to show you the imagery. On, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Next verse. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So right there, that's the imagery. Next verse. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So to break that down, when Jesus walked on the earth, the Spirit had not yet, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Holy Spirit came later in the book of Acts when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. So we see here this idea. Jesus is saying, if you thirst, come to me and drink. And out of you will flow rivers of living water. That is what happens at salvation. You thirsty. Jesus is the drink that every human being has longed for. He is, he is literally, we as humans, every human being that has ever walked the earth has thirsted, and they have thirsted for Jesus. They didn't know what it was. They didn't see Jesus as he really was. And because they did not experience what they really, like, like Jesus as he truly was, they never came and they got that drink. But when a person gets, a, gets that drink, it satisfies. But it doesn't just satisfy, it becomes a river. And that river flows from inside of you. So I want to come back now to Ezekiel 47, where I want to read a little bit more about this river in verse 7. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And why is that? Because we all know that wherever there is water, there is life. When you have a river, that flow of water going in and going out, going through, creates life for the vegetation around it. And you can have a desert to the east and a desert to the west, but where that water is, there is life. And so, in verse 8, it says, then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. 
There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. I believe that where we, where we go and God flows through us, we bring life to dead places. Let's see here, where was I? Verse 10, I believe. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from Engedi to En Eglem. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food, and the leaves for healing. So when you have a river flowing out of you, it keeps you from getting burnt out. A lot of Christians use that terminology, I'm burnt out, I'm burnt out. If you get burnt out, it's because you are doing a a works-based Christianity. Or, in some cases, maybe you do need to say no a little bit more often. But the reality is, is that when you are abiding in Jesus, spending quality time with Jesus, reading his word, praying, and by prayer, I don't just mean asking him for stuff, but I mean like listening to him, worshiping him, exalting him. As you just even spend time just being still in his presence where you don't say anything and he doesn't say anything, but you abide in his presence because he's there. I'm talking about a living relationship with Jesus where you are renewed in your spirit. And out of that place of renewal, there will flow rivers of living water. And that water will bring life and trees will grow. And there will be fruit. And that fruit will be for food. And the leaves will be for the healing of the nations. Jesus is coming back. And I believe it's going to be really great when he does. But I believe that until Jesus comes back, we are essentially Jesus to this world. We are his hands. We are his feet. The question is, who are we really living for? Who are we truly living day in and day out for? I want to come back to verse 2. I told you to make a mental note. In verse 2, it says, The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. That word flowing, I recently discovered, means to trickle. It's trickling. And when I heard that, that just made me happy. Because I'm like, that's what my life feels like, God. It does not feel like a river. (laughs) It does not feel like I'm changing nations and bringing life to the Dead Sea. It feels like a drip. (laughs) 
But I believe that the Lord revealed that passage of me, that, that word to me, that it, the word to trickle, because I believe he wants us to stop despising the little things. Because we don't realize the impact our trickle is making. If you go about your day and you smile at the, you know, the person in line at the grocery store and you're nice to them, and then you go to work and you're like, you know, maybe encouraging somebody that's going through a hard time, and then you're, you know, little, little things, you know, you're, you're, you're helping people, you know, carry something that's too heavy for them, or you're mowing some old person's lawn that can't do it themselves. Like, it's, you know, we think it's the big stuff that changes the world. We think it's the mighty river, and we need to get, you know, the right person in office, and we need to have a revival of epic proportions. And, we, and, and I'm not saying there's not a place for revival, but my point is, is I believe the Holy Spirit has re- revealed to me here recently that if we will begin to see the one he sends and not look past them because it looks insignificant, then we will find ourselves making a great impact. Because you start with the trickle, and a thousand cubits down the road, it's up to the ankles, and you're like, that's nothing. I'm not making any difference with my life. And then a thousand feet down the road, up to the knees, and Sometimes God shows us a little bit of the impact. Wow, I got an impact. I made a difference in somebody's life. Went all the way up to their knees. But the reality is, is you do not realize your impact. I mean, how many things have impacted you and somebody out there has no idea they did that? For positive or for negative. I remember one time when I was kind of early, early in youth ministry, I, somehow I found myself being, I, don't normal, I wasn't normally working with the children's ministry, but I found myself in a season where I was downstairs with uh, like, like for like one day, like maybe one or two days I was filling in and I was helping out with Sunday school or something like that. And then I heard through the grapevine that there was this boy and he was probably in third grade and that he was really impacted by me being down there. And it, in all honesty, it scared me more than it encouraged me because I was like, oh my goodness. I did not realize I had that much power to impact a third grader by just showing up. You don't realize, you do not realize how you can help somebody today. You don't realize how you could help somebody tomorrow. And we go through our day, in all honesty, probably many of you doing awesome things. I, I know a lot of the people around here, and I know that you guys are lovers of Jesus, and because you are a lover of Jesus, you're a worker for Jesus. There are a lot of workers in this room, and that is not a bad thing, because you're doing it out of love and out of devotion. And the reality is, is you don't even pay attention to the fruit that you have in your life. But I want you to know, it's glorious and it's making an impact. You might, it might be a small thing to one person, but down the road, that small thing to one person is reaching out to the next person and the next person and the next person. So I just want to encourage you today to not discount yourself 
when God is flowing through you. And I want to encourage you not to overlook the small stuff because the small stuff is the God stuff. This week, I I believe the Lord's going to confirm this word to a lot of people. I believe that in this coming week, God's going to send small stuff your way. And he's going to train you to have new eyes to be able to look at how you can help somebody around you. Because it's not about just making yourself look good. It's about saying, I care about you because Jesus cares about you. I am revealing Jesus to you today. I want you to feel the love of God, the compassion of God. I don't want you to feel alone. And you are not there, Jesus. I know know it sounds like the opposite of everything I've just said. Listen, you can only do so much. You can only be so much. Jesus has to be Jesus for other people. He's the only one that that can truly help them. But our goal is not to be their Jesus, but to reveal Jesus to them. You just want to stand up? Julie, wherever you are, could you come up here and make this sound more anointed? And if I could have the prayer team come to the front. Well, I hope you're very stirred today, but I hope you're not just stirred emotionally because I know how it is to be all emotionally pumped up and that lasts till about three o'clock this afternoon. For real. But I believe that I am not just giving a good pep talk. I believe this is what God is saying. And if this really is what God is saying, then he will confirm it. And he will stir you up. And so I want to encourage you guys to join me in praying to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers and laborers all over our region and all over our nation. But then, I just want to encourage you to be like Isaiah, who said, the Lord said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's in the room, and he's looking around. I'll go. Here I am. Send me. And God's like, I figured you would. That's why you're here. Sorry, <clears throat> I don't want to cough in the microphone. But seriously, let's make ourselves available and let's look at how we can genuinely work. Father, we come before you and we invite you to stir us up. Send us out. Create in us a clean heart for those that are weary, for those that are grieving, for those that are just tired and maybe not full of faith. God, I pray that you would bring a renewal today, that you would rejuvenate me, that you would rejuvenate us. God, that you would rejuvenate your house. God, we lift up not merely Abundant Life Fellowship, but the Church of United States of America. Oh Lord, may we not waste our time bickering, fighting, and warring over things that are not of your spirit. 
But Lord, I pray that you would give us your heart today. Give us your heart, we pray. Increase our love for you. And God, help us to see the divine moments, the divine opportunities. Help, them to, help us to do it, God. Give us eyes to see in Jesus' name. And right now, if you want to just offer yourself up to God, just do that yourself right where you are. Just give your life to him. If you want to be saved, just invite him to be on the throne of your heart, to be your Lord and to come and live inside of you. Ask him to forgive you of your sins, to wash you clean, and invite him in. And if you want to be a willing one, just tell the Lord, here I am, send me. May their life of Jesus flow to dead places. Amen.